It's the late 1980s, and the clock ticked towards the tragic and brutal fate of young Agnes Ng, just nine years old, at the hands of the monstrous Adrian Lim. Lucy Lau Kok Huang was diligently weaving through the residential maze of Topayo Block 12, armed with the allure of beauty products she was asked to promote. A journey led her to the enigmatic seventh floor, which presented an entrance that starkly contrasted with all she had seen. The portal, adorned with an altar, was both alluring and disquieting, shrouded by a veil of ivy that played host to an eerie dance of spectral amber light. It whispered in harsh tones to Lucy, possibly echoes of foreboding, but she couldn't locate the source. The door then creaked open, revealing Adrian Lim. <coughs> Hello. I'm Lucy. I'm here to introduce our newest beauty solution. Highly effective, especially for those with pale complexions, she ventured. Pale skin? I see. Is that how you've been hiding your condition? Adrian responded in an odd cryptic manner. Taken aback, Lucy asked. I'm sorry. What do you mean? Leaning towards Lucy, Adrian murmured. Can't you sense it? The chilling presence lurking around you. Surely you can feel it. Adrian's bewildering tales continued. Lucy, to tell you the truth, you're shadowed by a spirit. It's barred from entering here, so I suggest you step in quickly, and then we can discuss more. With superstitions being common at the time, Lucy, like many of her contemporaries, ventured into Adrian's lair. Inside, she was captivated by his theatrics, spinning webs of stories and tricks until he unveiled his unorthodox solution to her purported spectral problem. This isn't making any sense, Lucy responded, punctuating her statement with a sip of water. This doesn't make any sense. I won't partake in such rituals with you. Adrian's suggested method for banishing her ghost was an intimate ritualistic act, which Lucy flatly rejected. I'm afraid I have to get back to work. I should be leaving now, she declared, rising from a seat. As she did so, she was struck by a sudden spell of vertigo. In the moments before darkness claimed her, she could have sworn she saw a sinister smile creep onto Adrian Lim's face. In 1981, Singapore's CID officer S.K. Minon uncovered a horrifying trail of events at Topayo Block 12, where a young boy was found dead. This trail led him to Adrian Lim, an infamous figure in the annals of Singapore's criminal history. Adrian was born in 1942, developed a fascination with the occult, which spiraled into dangerous obsessions and manipulative behaviours. He met Catherine Tan Mui Chu, a woman struggling with personal hardship, and manipulated her into becoming his accomplice in his increasingly heinous practices. Another woman, Ho Ka Hong, was also manipulated into becoming Adrian's holy wife, which met some resistance until Adrian murdered her husband via electrocution. He had avoided any repercussions simply by gaslighting Ho into believing that her husband had died from accidental electrocution. 
a scenario not uncommon in the 1970s. With Catherine and Ho drawn into his web of deception, Adrian descended further into his depraved desires, eventually convincing the duo to bring him more vulnerable women for treatment. As the year 1980 came to a close, Adrian Lim was deeply immersed in his delusions, having successfully ensnared an astonishing 40 women to become his holy wives. The ease with which he dominated these susceptible women seemed to have emboldened him, eventually leading to a fateful encounter with Lucy, who resisted his advances. To overcome her resistance, Adrian turned to deception and drugged her with sedatives, concealed within a seemingly benign milk concoction, masquerading as a healing elixir. In an unconscious state, Adrian assaulted her, violating her dignity and trust. Following this, he exploited a toxic mix of threats and drugs to manipulate Lucy, drawing her back into his lair time and time again. By November 7th, 1980, Lucy summoned her courage and sought justice by filing a police complaint. As per the records, this marked the first instance of Adrian's victims taking a decisive stand against him, leading to his swift arrest, though he was subsequently released on bail. These events shook Adrian, serving as a stark reminder that his power was not absolute. Lucy's defiance, coupled with the looming presence of the authorities, ready to scrutinize him at will, stirred doubt within him. His assumed invincibility was starting to crumble. In court, months later, he would confess that this episode profoundly affected him, challenging his perception of himself as a Casanova. Simultaneously, accusations of rape sparked rage within him, given the flock of women willingly serving as his holy wives. I felt as though I'd been framed, and the police were blinded. Contemplating Lucy's defiance and the relentless scrutiny of the authorities, Adrian decided to retaliate. He turned to his two most faithful wives, Catherine and Ho, and presented them with a chilling plan for revenge against the police a plot involving the murder of children. The story that followed will be violent, cruel, and unforgiving. It will grip the nation and burn Adrian Lim's name into the history of Singapore's morbid past. Because Adrian Lim would become the first ritual murderer in Singapore. You're listening to Heinous an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by 1UP Media. This episode contains scenes of graphic imagery and violence. Listener discretion is advised. On the 24th of January, 1981, a day began like any other for nine-year-old Agnes Ng Siu Hock, a student at Holy Innocence Chinese Girls School. Her routine involved waiting for her older sister after school at the Church of the Risen Christ in Topayo. They would then make their way home together. However, that Saturday would forever alter this routine as her sister arrived to find an ominously empty bench where Agnes usually waited. The exact timeline of the family's reaction remains unclear, but the discovery of Agnes followed swiftly. Roughly eight and a half hours later, 
at 2:20 a.m. on January 25th, a man returning from a late-night film walked by Tapio's Block 11. On the edge of his view, by the staircase, he noticed something strange—a nondescript brown PVC travel bag. Compelled by curiosity and suspicion, he unzipped the bag, revealing a sight that would haunt him: the young face of Agnes, eerily still in death. Authorities were immediately summoned to the scene, but the lack of clear evidence proved a daunting hurdle. The motivations behind Agnes's murder remained a murky enigma, with traces of sedatives in her blood and indications of sexual assault pointing to anything from a heinous act of opportunity to a meticulously planned revenge plot. One week later, the scales tipped towards the revenge theory when the Ng family received a chilling message from the murderer. Threatening to harm the remaining children. However, the true motive behind this horrific act was concealed from all. It was a twisted act of revenge, not against the Ng family, but against the police force. As the investigation dragged on, the pressure upon the police intensified. A week later, the horror would spill over into the neighboring region of Clementi. After finishing his lessons at Henry Park Primary School, young Ghazali was at the park, immersed in playful bliss with his two cousins. At that moment, a woman approached him with a seemingly innocuous request: assistance in collecting and moving some items from a friend's house. Ghazali, an endearing and helpful boy, agreed to lend a hand. Yet his generous act of kindness would lead to his untimely death. Hours later. In the early hours of February seventh, Ghazali was found dead near a hedge in front of Topayo Block Ten. According to Mr. Minon, the CID officer leading the investigation, Ghazali's lifeless body lay on an open patch of grass, mere meters away from Adrian Lim's residence. With a second victim, the urgency to resolve the case reached a critical level, but help would come from an unlikely source: Ghazali himself. As if standing his ground one last time, the fallen Ghazali's trail of blood provided a crucial lead, guiding the authorities straight to Tapayo Block 12. The blood trail was so precise that it led them directly to the floor Adrian Lim resided on, allowing the police to swiftly seal off the block and commence a thorough door-to-door search. Ghazali's death marked a turning point because moments later. The authorities found themselves right outside Adrian Lim's door. Initially, it seemed obvious that they had the right house. From the outside, the house radiated an uncanny aura. Upon entering, the authorities found unsettling evidence: traces of blood in the kitchen and meticulously stored vials of blood in the refrigerator. But according to Mr. Minon, Adrian held a convincing story. I asked him about it. And he said Chinese New Year was just over, and he had been killing chickens in the kitchen. <laughs> Yet, as the search of the premises continued, they found a well-worn telephone directory. Upon being instructed to open it, Catherine turned the pages to reveal two names inscribed within: Agnes and Ghazali. In that moment, the macabre reality of the Tupaya ritual murders came to light. Leading to the immediate arrest of all three involved, as they were transported to the police station, the grim picture began to form for the authorities. However, they were yet to understand the full extent of the horror. 
That is, until Ho, one of Adrian's holy wives, decided to unveil the chilling sequence of events that unfolded on the dreadful days of the murders. Ho revealed that she had been given a chilling assignment by Adrian to lure in potential victims who Adrian disturbingly referred to as fish. In a pursuit of this macabre task, Ho managed to convince three young girls, each of whom Adrian carelessly rejected for various arbitrary reasons, such as race, size, or susceptibility to panic. Agnes was the fourth child she approached, and tragically, she fell into their sinister trap. What happened to her after the abduction is nothing short of horrific. On the day she was kidnapped, Agnes was first subdued with a sedative injection, after which the trio suffocated her. Adrian then proceeded to violate her, but the ghastly ritual was far from over. The trio decided to turn Agnes into a blood sacrifice. Using a needle, they pricked Agnes's finger, consuming the blood that welled up. In chilling detail, Ho testified, I immersed her head in a tub of water. Adrian stepped on Agnes's body, while Catherine had her legs. After ending her life, they carelessly stuffed Agnes into a travel bag before moving on to their next unsuspecting target. Ho said that Ghazali was selected for a deeply unsettling reason. He bore a striking resemblance to her deceased husband. Ghazali met a similar fate to Agnes. He was drugged, choked, and drowned. However, one more monstrous act befell Ghazali. Because he had shown signs of resistance during his ordeal, the trio took it a step further by electrocuting his lifeless body post-mortem. When the heinous deeds of the trio came to light, Singaporean society was shocked to its core. Every television and radio network broadcasted the unfolding story as citizens flocked to the courthouse, driven by a morbid fascination to witness the trial of the ritual murderers firsthand. This sensational trial spanned 41 days, during which the defence argued diminished responsibility. This term is typically used to suggest that the accused were not fully in control of their actions at the time of the crime. Indeed, the abhorrent act of drinking blood and the senseless targeting of children appeared to support the notion that the trio were not of sound mind. The defense's case was bolstered by conflicting psychiatric evaluations, with some asserting that the trio were mentally unstable. However, Ho's dark and chilling testimony shattered this illusion of madness. The deliberate selection of victims, the methodical infliction of torment, all pointed to a cold, calculated cruelty, rather than the chaotic violence of insanity. The courtroom and the world outside came to realize that these were not the actions of the deranged, but of the perfectly sane. After 41 days of deliberation, presiding judge T.S. Sinathure delivered the verdict. All three were sentenced to death by hanging, a sentence carried out on November 25, 1988. The infamous Topayo ritual murders, perpetrated by Adrian Lim and his accomplices, sent ripples through the fabric of Singaporean society. The trial generated an overwhelming public interest, and the chilling details reported in the media sparked intense debates about the potential harm of explicit crime reporting against the importance of raising crime awareness. Alan John's book, Unholy Trinity, 
provided extensive coverage of the case, unearthing underlying societal issues like domestic violence and complacency towards it. However, many questions still linger, such as the state's failure to intervene in the continuous abuse suffered by Tan and Ho, Lim's accomplices. Additionally, a systemic neglect towards Lim's other victims remain a sore point. Nevertheless, the trial underscored the sheer malevolence of Lim, inspiring widespread public revulsion and even threats against his defence. In popular culture, the murders inspired films like Medium Rare and God or Dog, despite their dismal box office performances. The crime awareness programme, True Files, also planned to feature the case, but faced public outrage over the graphic nature of the depiction, forcing the programme to be rescheduled. Following Adrian Lim's arrest, his flat remained vacant for six years due to local superstitions about the locations of violent crime. The redevelopment of the area where the crimes occurred did little to erase the memory of the horrific event. Nearly three decades after the executions of the killers, the trauma of the victims' families remained palpable, as evidenced in an interview with Ghazali's mother. Her ongoing grief and the anger expressed by her grandson towards the murderers illustrates the enduring legacy of pain left by the Tapayo ritual murders. Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, is brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by 1UP Media. This episode was produced and written by Yo Guang Jin with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks to executive producer Danny Cordy from MediaCorp. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.